Well, hello there, my friends, and welcome to episode 223 of the Recruitment Marketing and Sales podcast. We have ramped up the numbers over the last few couple of weeks because um, depending on when you listen to this, I am recording this in the middle of very uncertain times. Uh, The COVID virus is with us. It's changing our lives. It's changing the way we do business potentially. And uh, in the UK, we are just about to head into the eye of the storm uh, with regards to, to number of cases. Um, so every day we've been doing a different podcast to help get people through this particular situation. And today's podcast slightly different. Um, we recorded this literally uh, a, a few weeks ago, just as everything hit. Um, in, in fact, I think we just got the, the podcast recorded with Howard and... Um, the day after, there was a directive from um, uh, Boris Johnson that all the um, pubs would close, uh, people needed to work from home, there was lots of different directives, and it just didn't feel appropriate to share this podcast then. I think for, for many of us, we've gone through that up and down emotional roller coaster over the last couple of weeks. We now know that, okay, this is, this is how we just have to dig down and find those reserves and move forward. And also for many of you, I know because I've been speaking to business owners nearly every day, that um, uh, maybe it's a time to consider how we do it differently when we come out of it. So for many of you, I know that thinking about a retained service has been on your agenda. And we did a podcast, go and have a look on the, the Superfast Recruitment website. I think it was back in August from Howard and he was talking about the possibilities of a retained service. And in this particular podcast, he's going to talk about how you might consider selling a retained service because, you know, the facts are recruitment has changed. And I think that what's happening currently that we're all experiencing will change things there too. And Howard makes some excellent points in this recording about how to sell retained because, you know, this will create some great opportunities, particularly, I think, for SME businesses to stand out, to be more distinctive, um, to really, you know, step forward into what's possible for them. So Sharon conducted this interview. So I'm going to, after our little uh, uh, lovely lady that introduces the Recruitment Marketing Sales podcast uh, appears, then uh, listen in as Sharon and Howard talk about how to um, sell a retained service. And for this particular podcast, there will also be a, uh, a transcription too. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Recruitment Marketing and Sales podcast. An obsessive focus on marketing and sales is the only way to accelerate your agency growth. So listen in now as we share the latest strategies and techniques guaranteed to deliver you more placements and profit. Welcome, Howard. It's good to have you back on the Recruitment Marketing and Sales podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be back. Good, good. Um, it doesn't sort of seem that long ago really since we were we were having this retained conversation. And um, for anybody who's listening, if you haven't listened to the first chat that Howard and I had on retained services, do head over to the Superfast Recruitment blog and go and find podcast 186, where Howard and I are having a conversation about um, how to introduce a retained service. 
Now, I think, you know, it's fair to say that actually, Howard, our conversation, that podcast was one of the most listened to podcasts on our channel last year. And I heard, I've heard quite a lot of conversations on the back of that uh, podcast, um, you know, business owners chatting about retained and a lot of them are very interested in developing a retained service. And I guess what made me want to have another conversation with you and just you know, draw on your expertise in this area is because there, I pick up a hesitancy around actually moving into action uh, around retained. Um, so, so thanks for joining us again today. Um, I know we've got some, some great questions to explore. Um, but if anybody hasn't heard that first podcast, um, maybe we could start by just giving a, a, a quick potted history of the amazing Howard Greenwood's career. I'm not sure amazing is the right, right word, but uh, I'll take it. I'll take it anyway. Uh, pleased to hear that the podcast was, was popular and pleased to hear that people are asking lots of questions. So I always think, you know, the art of learning is asking the right questions and then acting on those questions and, and what you're doing. Hopefully this podcast will give them the idea of how they can take their contingency piece to a, a more retained piece. Yeah. These at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk a lot during this uh, podcast about the reasons why, and that, that is really important. But, you know, uh, uh, pot, pot, you know, potted history of my my career i'm approaching 30 years in recruitment i was an it contract recruiter with lorian um ended up at the board of directors at computer people uh, part of the deco group i've moved from the big sort of recruitment into mentoring and coaching small recruitment agencies or sme recruitment agencies not all of them small uh to grow and scale and develop that uh, and, you know, myself and my, my business partner, Paul Jacobs, we've got between us over 70 years of uh, recruitment experience of various different degrees. Uh, and that's what we do. We were speaking at the, the Recruitment Expo down in London early on this year. Uh, and it was very interesting listening to people after the, uh, the conversation that we had and presentation that we gave about their views of where the market's going and how the market's changing, which is very sort of ingrained in what we're going to talk about today and what's going on um, and a lot about how the market is changing what's going on with the market and, and how things are moving yeah. since we last spoke we've done i've done an awful, awful awful lot with regards to developing that coaching and mentoring side with uh, our clientele and, and new clients that are coming on board but also have launched a uh, online training web portal as well uh, which again is about the core basics of recruitment uh, and that's starting to have a real effect for the clients that are now using that about drilling in the core basics. And again, we'll talk about that quite a lot during this uh, podcast and, and mm. how getting the core basics and developing those basics will differentiate your service from where it is now to yeah. where it potentially could be and the reasons why you need to differentiate your service. Yeah, that's great. Um and, and it's interesting, isn't it, that um, you, you talk about how those individuals that you caught up with after your presentation at Expo, you know, were sharing their thoughts on, on how they, they, they're experiencing the market shifting. And, um, and the fact that, you know, this, this clear, retained is clearly a conversation that people are wanting to have. 
Um, you know, and that just kind of links back to how popular, you know, the, the first podcast, the first conversation we had. But, you know, I thought perhaps today we could just start with thinking about why is it important that recruiters look to offer, um, you know, different services, you know, because retained is, is one of them. Um, so, so why do you think now it's so important, Howard? It's a very interesting question. We, 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 we touched on this last time we spoke. Mm. And I think as the market starts to really change, and if you think, you know, depending on who you believe on how many recruitment agencies are in the UK, there's somewhere between 35,000 and 40,000 recruitment agencies in the UK, with around about three to 5,000 new recruitment agencies you know, appearing every year and probably a similar number disappearing every year for various different reasons. So the market is very, very, very swamped and very, very competitive. Um, I'm led to believe, you know, whether it's right or wrong, stats are always a debatable that, you know, the UK is the most competitive recruitment market in the world, you know, per capita head. So there's lots and lots of competition out there. So what we've got to look at is why we're looking to differentiate our services and how we can drive our costings up and become a more you know, service-based offering to a client where we are being paid for our service rather than a free service and a contingency service that we have at the moment. And I think as the market moves and the market changes, there's various reasons why we need to be doing that. If you listen to ABSCO, uh, ABSCO was saying in 2017, 2018, 30% of every placement went via an RPO. So if you think as a recruiter, you leave your agency, you start your own business, you've usually got a client that's going to come with you and they're giving you or feeding you that low-hanging fruit. And you survive for a while off that low-hanging fruit as you start to grow your business and develop your business. You then start to pick up the low-hanging fruit of other companies and start to expand your business. Well, if 30% of every deal last year was done via an RPO, and RPO's costings are very, very low compared to a normal recruitment agency, then that means that low-hanging fruit is being swallowed up by the RPO. If you suddenly start to then put on top of that how many companies have now got in-house recruitment offerings, then all of a sudden, the market is hugely changing away from what it traditionally was. I mean, certainly in the early 90s when I worked, was there, you know, you got all the low-hanging fruit, and now that's all disappearing. So therefore, Companies are still going to need to re use recruitment agencies, but they're going to be using recruitment agencies in a very different way. Because not only have they had the RPO and the in-house, but they have access to all the AI that we have access to. They have access to LinkedIn, Indeed, et cetera, et cetera. So why would a smart client spend so much money on a recruiter on that low-hanging fruit if they could genuinely do it themselves, employ and train somebody to do it themselves, and grow from there. Some of the clients that we mentor now are outside the recruitment agency marketplace. And they always talk about how they can drive down costs. And the biggest cost to them is sometimes recruitment. And therefore all looking at bringing in-house people in and it's how they can do that and then how they train that. So it's very interesting when we sort of talk about that. So I think that what's gonna happen is that over the next five to 10 years, that low-hanging fruit disappears and therefore recruiters need to be offering specialist services to our clients because our clients will still come out for those jobs that your traditional low-hanging fruit 
wouldn't normally want to fill. So if you think about a normal recruiter, have they got five easy jobs they can fill or one really difficult job? What are they going to choose? They're going to choose the five easy jobs to fill because they're all targeted to fill those jobs. RPOs are exactly the same. I've spoken to lots of agencies and lots of clients recently where they are offering a different type of service to the end client based on the jobs that they can't fill through their RPO or through their in-house recruitment. Mm. And therefore, you know, it sort of says there's a market there that is primary to move into. And if you're moving into that with a retained or a headhunting service that is costed in a slightly different way or a very different way, depending on where you're looking at it, then mm. you'll start to take market share and you can start that transition from being a contingent recruiter to a retained or a headhunter recruiter where you're actually getting paid for your service. Yeah. So there's lots of change coming on. And I think I, I, I said a couple of years ago at an event I was speaking at is that there is a digital wave coming and recruitment has a choice what to do with that digital wave. You can either swim out and ride the wave and hope you ride it really well, or you can sit on the beach and let that wave crash straight over the top of you and wipe you out. Yeah. And I think if I was a recruiter running a recruitment agency and the people that I'm talking to and dealing with and mentoring and coaching, they're all swimming out to the market. They're all swimming out to ride that wave and get on that wave. They don't want to be that Luddite that's left behind and be swept away on the beach. So it's a very interesting market time. So now there's an opportunity to really change how your agency is perceived and how your agency is um, interacting with the marketplace rather than just being a free service, which is what we almost class ourselves now as until we actually make a placement. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, you know, you, you give that, I really like that analogy that you use, you know, of riding the waves or, you know, sitting on the beach and the, being swamped by them. Because um, I saw um, an article recently from Greg Savage on LinkedIn, and I think, you know, in, in that, you know, he's he's got that quote that he keeps banging the drum about in terms of, you know, recruiters, if they want to sort of, you know, grow and thrive in the market, really, they need to be digital and marketing agencies. Um, you know, so I think, um, you know, it's, it's a consistent message, isn't it? I guess it does beg the question, though, as I listen to you, and everything you say just makes complete sense and aligns with what, what we're hearing, is why do you think so many contingency recruiters um, almost have some fear um, and, and a real uncertainty about um, selling and trans transitioning or adding in a retained service? What's, what's that reluctance and fear about, do you think? I can't work out whether it's true fear mm. or it's a lack of knowledge right creates yeah. system good distinction that creates fear yeah if you think the irrational sort of thing about fear is that 90 percent of everything that you fear is irrational and doesn't actually truly exist yeah then, you know it's a bit of a strange thing you know how many people fear clowns for whatever reason and you know it's there how many people fear spiders and yet the most poisonous spider in the world, the daddy long legs, you know, isn't a spider that can, or allegedly the most poisonous spider, isn't a spider that can bite you. So there's lots of illogical fears out there. And I always think that that lack of knowledge sometimes is very, very, yeah, a very sort of interesting thing. And I, I described it in this way that, you know, you're stood at the moment, or most recruitment agencies stood at the moment on a ledge. 
and they've got to stand or step off that ledge. Mm. Okay, and it's the not knowing that stops them stepping off that ledge, that fear of falling and crashing and burning and dying or whatever it be. And so when you turn knowledge properly, that know-how and then stepping off that ledge with knowledge creates knowledge. And you've got to have that knowledge to go there. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the fear is the fear of deliver of failure. You know, if I don't deliver, if I suddenly change my business from a contingency to a retained with my clients and I fail to deliver, are my clients going to sack me? And my clients going to get rid of me, okay? Yeah. But yeah. it's lack of knowledge of what you're actually giving and the differentiation between continuous and retained and how they're approaching that with their client because they're probably approaching it with their client with a contingency mindset rather than a retained mindset. Yeah. Therefore, what they're not doing is they're not setting the expectations of the client of what a true trained service actually means and why it's different. Therefore, the client's expectations of them are very, very different. So you've sold a contingency service that gave a retained fee for it, but you're still working in a contingency mindset and the client's still working in a contingency mindset. And therefore, if a deliverable doesn't happen, then it's a real problem to the client and a real phobia for the, the, the agency. Mm. So it's that fear of pushing back into the client and really driving in what's going on and i always say that if you're going to sell retained services you know you have to understand what that actually means and how that actually works mm -hmm. but you have to understand which roles are primary for retained and which aren't rather than trying to sell retained for absolutely everything yeah and i always think clients you know don't like being pushed back on and yet how many clients can ask us to find a purple unicorn and you refuse to push back because you're a contingency recruiter. You take the job and you take the job on contingency. 99 times out of 100, you never fill that job because you're filling other jobs that are infinitely easier to fill. However, that job potentially could be fillable with the right process. Yeah. It could be fillable if you engage with the client with the right mindset and set the client's expectations in the correct way. And what I mean by that is that if you sell that, I'm going to find that purple unicorn for you. But to do that, you're going to have to pay me for the initiation of the search. I will then come back to you and tell you why you can either find the person or why you can't find that person. And then we can tailor things to what the client truly needs and requires and what's actually available out in the market. Yeah. We'll discuss that later on. Some of the other questions are going to link into this very, very nicely. But yeah. I think reason why that they fear that they, they fear stepping off that ledge and uh, into that retained piece because the fear of what the client's actually going to think of them and i think it's because mm. of setting the client's expectations and they're going in with a contingency mindset rather than a retained mindset and and it's interesting actually because um something something that we hear frequently uh with the clients that we work with is that um you know they are very passionate about about the quality of the service that they offer, and you know when we get them to think about um, all the different steps in their process, you know there can be thirty plus forty steps in their process. And um, if if I could have a pound for every time I've heard this particular phrase, that you know really our clients are have are giving and receive uh, receiving sorry more of a, an exec search retained 
service, but paying for contingency. And, and it's like, you know, well, wh why are you doing that? Because, you know, just, you're so undervaluing the quality of the service. And um, I, I think that there's also then that, that, that f fear almost and that uncertainty because the mindset that they've gone in with is they've set the, let's say the benchmark as you're paying for contingency, but I'm going to give you a retained service. So it's like, how do I then go back and give the same level of service, but as you've highlighted earlier, you know, ask for 10 or 15% extra. Um, so, you know, there's, a, there's quite a lot to unpick there and obviously how they communicate the value of, of what they're doing. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a big communication piece there as well. But um, There's a huge debate there between recruiters and headhunters or search firms depending on what they call themselves. Yeah. The recruitment agency is there saying, we're giving them more, more, a more retained search, more of a headhunting service, but we're doing a retained uh, contingency fee or contingency price, which is... Yeah. And I'm sure headhunters would completely disagree that you're not offering them, you're just offering them a, a more polished contingency service. Contingency service. Yeah. retained or headhunting type service. Yeah. Be an interesting debate on that that'd be a great podcast or a great uh, webinar to have and watch that debate go on between recruiters and headhunters on what is the service because the headhunting service is very very different to the contingency service that 90 percent of all recruitment agencies offer awesome. mm, yeah. you know, we will cover that partially sort of during today's uh, conversation yeah well before we perhaps get into looking at um, you know how people can you know develop and sell um, and implement a retained service, what let's be honest about it because there's always pros and cons to to anything and you know services are no exception. So, what do you think are some of the pitfalls of the retained model? I think some of the pitfalls of what we've discussed is that genuine lack of understanding of what true retained actually is and having that you know retained mindset so there's a pitfall that you're going to go in and sell a con retained service but it's just a polished contingency service in reality so that's one of the pitfalls that they have and that's why they sort of pull away there's also that view of the if you're going to sell retained on absolutely everything then you're going to fail at some place but it's again, it's understanding. If the client understands the true meaning of retained, then they understand that each individual part of the recruitment process is divisible. Therefore, you are paid only to be engaged. Then you are paid to have a short list or long list. Then you are engaged to, for the fulfill of the role. And most contracts that are written nowadays are not divisible. Therefore, if they were taken to a court of law because they haven't ended up, uh, you know, giving the client an end product, then they maybe have to have to give that retained part of the fee back to the, to the, the client because it isn't divisible. And that's how the clients are being sold the service to them and the lack of understanding from the agency market on what retained is and what a divisible contract is. The big argument that headhunters will have is about the actual process that recruiters actually deliver to clients. So a pitfall is 
you know, is your process a genuine retained process? Does it differentiate yourself enough to be able to charge that 10%, 15%, 20% more fee to your client? And, you know, Headhunters has a very, very different service to uh, contingency market. And therefore, a pitfall is, again, going back into that retained market, but with just a polished contingency service. The other thing that I think is a huge pitfall is most of the recruitment market tend to reinvent recruitment every single day. And what I mean by that is if you listen to some of the stats that come out from Bullhorn and other luminaries within the marketplace on how many candidates are placed each day in the marketplace, and have been pulled from a job board, from LinkedIn, from some external process other than the client's CRM, where they're saying a vast majority of those CVs are probably already on the CRM, and yet the agency doesn't look at that. So the reason why you know high-end companies go to various different types of headhunters is because of the quality of their candidate pool and their quality of the knowledge of the marketplace. And so a pitfall is not knowing that marketplace and again, trying to fill the roles by advertising, reinventing the wheel every single day, rather than owning your candidate marketplace and being a genuine influencer in that marketplace so a client can see the true value. And I think the pitfall of the whole lot is not providing value to their end client and that means the lack of understanding from the, the agency and coupled with the lack of training that they will give their staff because they just see take that job on get paid the fee up front and fill it like we normally fill it and then all of a sudden that's a whole different ball game and that's why the clients therefore push back a little bit and don't like retained because they don't see the value in that retained because they don't see a value in the quality of the service that's been given to them by the recruiter. And that's where the headhunter will come in and, and change that marketplace quite heavily. And it's an interesting view what the headhunters do next, whether they stay at that highbrow end of the marketplace, 100K plus, et cetera, et cetera. Or do they step down a little bit and start to take the top end of the recruitment market and work from there? And it's a very, very challenging sort of time that, you know, I know certain headhunters that probably make four or five placements a year and recruiters are going to be sitting there listening to this going, what, four or five placements a year? Yeah. Fees probably 100 to 200K. Mm-hmm. So huge fees because they're looking for people who are seven-figure salaries and things like that. Yeah. So it's the quality of their talent pool and their knowledge of the market on where they're going to go find that person that wants that type of money and how they prize that person out of that company so they are truly looking for that purple unicorn and that's a very very different service Mm. you know and that's what recruiters have got to start to understand there's a transition from being a contingency to a retained to a headhunt where you have to change your level of service and that's the big pitfall not changing your level of service not changing your service not truly understanding what that means to the client and i say and if you then your contract isn't divisible and you don't deliver, it's going to fall down anyway. So you've got to look at that and how you set the mindset of the client and the expectations of the client and your staff, again, are a pitfall that most agencies don't even consider when trying to do retained service. And just just 
picking up then on um, on the the value piece that that you mentioned there, I think some, something that always um, you know comes up for me is that um, if someone raises price as you know sort of like a perceived objection, then for me it's just a, a, a kind of like a red flag that actually that individual. Um, doesn't understand the value and that's not their fault that's my fault because I've not been able to communicate that so when when you're thinking then about let, let's say you know recruiters selling um, retained versus contingency why why is pricing a recruitment service um, so hard for recruiters you know if you compare contingency and, and retained Pricing is always interesting, isn't it? Everyone always yeah. says, uh, you know, um, quote high, because then you can always drop your price. If you go low, you can't go up. Yes, yeah. Like classic sort of like, you know, almost like um, mother's, mother's kind of like, well, wives' tales or something, isn't it? You know, the, the myths that just they keep perpetuating. Yeah. And generally what happens is a contingency recruitment will go in and they'll sell their service, they'll quote high, the client will go, no. Everyone else has quoted that service to me at 15%. You've quoted 25%. And generally what they do is they drop their pants and go, right, I'll, okay, I'll do it at 15% to fall in line with everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And the reason this is, and again, I've been trying to champion this for the last couple of years, and I've been working with a couple of clients, you know, over the last year or so with their service. And they've seen a marked difference when they've changed the way they sell their service to their clients and how the client then differentiates and sees the value in the different styles of service that they actually have. And what I mean by that is that if you start with a contingency cell and you group all your services in as one, so the general recruitment cell is the client will say, that's very good, understand that, tell me what, what your sale is, and you go through and you say everything that you do, and then you go 25%, let's say, and the client says no, you're left with nowhere to go other than downwards because you put all your service offerings on the table in one big basket and wrapped it up and said here. And if you start to look at how the modern day sell happens, if you look at, say, how people sell online or how people now sell services, They'll have a bog standard service and there'll be a page on their website saying, look at this, here's a bog standard service. You get this, 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 and this. And it, they don't mention price. They just say, that's what you're going to get. If you're selling an online service, they might say that will be $10, £10 a month, whatever it be. Then they have a second service that has so much more added into it. Then a third service, maybe a fourth service. So if you look at that as a bronze, silver, and gold type thing, and you separate out each individual service as you speak to your client and talk about that to your client. And then you start to talk to them about, right, which service actually suits the role that you want. Because remember, not every role is going to be, require a retained service. They might say that role fits perfectly with our contingency. You can then quote a price for that contingency service. If you they turn around and say, actually, I'm looking for a really important position, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think it should be retained again because you haven't you have differentiated you've not lumped it all in one you could now say well our contingency service is normally this price for our retained service it's this price so they suddenly get a view of the quality and the value that you're selling 
So you have to be able to differentiate your service. And I've got a number of clients that have done that where they differentiate it on their website. They've created documents and sending documents out to their clients that break their service down and differentiate their service. And then when they start to speak to their client, the client's now getting an understanding of the different levels of services that can be provided, not just all one thing. So we need to start to think that sometimes that, you know, the other reason why it's hard to sell, retain and go up is very much in line with what we were talking about a little bit earlier about the uh, headhunters and why they are different. We still believe in the contingency market that 360 is the best way to go in the marketplace, where a headhunter will have a researcher going out into the candidate marketplace, constantly talking to candidates and bringing candidates in to the headhunting pool. And they drive that into the headhunting pool, okay, so that when their client comes, they've already got a list of candidates that they can go and approach and they know what's going on. The headhunter then speaks to the client and takes the, the role on, brings that back in, and either the researcher or a client manager then manages that process. So whether it's a 180 or a 120 degree service, what you're finding is that they understand their candidate marketplace so much more and what the client is paying for is to bring the best talent on the marketplace and when you're selling that service to them and you're saying i've got four or five clients accounts that i know now that are engaged passive market but if i brought this service you're offering to them they might be interested but i also know xyz here here and here and you're talking the marketplace properly then all of a sudden they can see the value in your market knowledge and your access to the market because you are an influence in the marketplace because they these type of candidates will pick up your phone call because you're already engaged with them you've already been working with them for a long period of time about helping them develop their their careers and talking to about them what's out there in the marketplace without being that pushy recruiter and trying to force them into a job and that's what headhunters do they they grow their their passive marketplace constantly and they work with their candidates constantly irrespective of whether they've got a job for that candidate or not and that's a very big difference so when it comes to providing the best product to your clients now you can charge a far better service and i'll go back to the same analogy i used last time which you know you can go buy a mcdonald's burger for two quid i don't know what it is because i've not bought a mcdonald's burger for a long time okay um or you could go to a five-star michelin star restaurant and buy a burger that is 20 quid. The difference in the meat and the bread, except that it actually goes into the burger, is very, very fine, the difference. It's not a massive difference. But the experience of walking into McDonald's and walking into a five-star restaurant is hugely experienced. And you pay for that experience. Yeah. So if you're offering contingency experience to your client and trying to sell retained, how can you drive your price up? You can't. So you have to change how you deliver to your client and deliver a Michelin star quality. Yeah. And that also improves the quality of the product that you're selling. So although there's a very little difference between the meat product, the meat in the Michelin star reference is infinitely better quality than it is in uh, McDonald's. Yeah. It's still beef. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, so let's think then, let's, let's sort of transition into um, someone makes a decision that they want to um, transition towards um, introducing that retained service. Um, 
when, when they start looking at developing a retained model, what, what do you think are the key things that they need to have in place? Okay, so besides addressing all the pitfalls first, making sure that you are, you know, your, your contract is fit for purpose. Yeah. Okay, I think a process of service offering that is differentiates and it's different to contingency is an absolute must. So we just talked about that in pricing. If you don't differentiate yeah, yeah. service, then you're in problems. So you need to own your candidate market. You need to be an influencer in the market. And that goes back to your comment about um, Mr. Savage. You, know, you have to be marketing constantly to your audience. And your audience, if you're retained, is 90% candidate and 10% clients. So if you're already marketing to your audience and your audience are already engaged with you, then when you come to them and you talk to them, they'll engage with you even more because they see you as a value-added part of the marketplace. They see you as an influencer in the marketplace. Getting a call from you is like, wow, I've just got a call from a headhunter. So it should be that sort of exhilaration that you're giving your candidate when that call comes in. So you need to be an expert in your niche and you need to be great at marketing in your niche to have the best candidates already registered in your database or everybody knows about you. You are that influencer in that niche and everyone knows about you. So you must define your service offering and it must be different to your contingency. Okay, You can't just make contingency shine a little bit better and hope to work from there. So when you're starting to develop this model, you have to train your staff, not only on a different style of delivery, but on a different mindset as well. Because stepping up to sell from 15% to 30% is a real big mindset. All of a sudden that fear of my client's gonna say, no, I can't quote that, 30% is too high. When you can, if you truly differentiate your service, and you truly believe in the value that you're offering your client. And that value means that you already know that you have the best candidates in the marketplace, irrespective of whether they're going to leave their client or not, for your opportunity. But you know where to approach and how to approach that. You're not just reinventing the wheel every day, putting a job advert out, hope the advert responds, hope you get a candidate in there and so they, oh, hang on a minute, this client over here has just come for an easier job, I'll fill that job, it's a far easier. You've been retained to do this job. So if you already know where to go and the avenue to, for success, then you'll be far more successful. So that changing that mindset is really important and training that is really, really key. You've then got to talk about the engagement phase and whatever phases that you've proposed. You know, there's lots of different ways that you can do retain business. You can do half fees, quarter fees, third fees, etc. And it depends how you break your, your, your recruitment service up. But that first initial engagement is really important. I think a lot of contingency agencies are too scared to push back when the client wants to find that really elusive person. And they've got to remember, when you engage and retain a piece of business, it is for that piece of business and that piece of business only. What you can't do, and I was, I was speaking to a client uh, the other day, and this is exactly what happened to her. So said, I've done a retained job. I've been being paid for, retain, for the engagement phase. I understand that. And the client's come back and said, actually, I don't want that job. Can you fill this job? And they changed the job to being a finance organization. 
they wanted a graduate who'd been out of university for two years but has no debt and no credit history. Now, I don't know many students who are two years out of university, have no debt and have no credit history, you know, and have a poor credit history. It just doesn't work. And, you know, but the original job was completely different to that. And then he's fallen out with the, the agency because she couldn't deliver. And I said, well, why didn't you push back? That's a completely different job. Yeah, yeah. So... The engagement phase, you've got to make sure the client understands it's engagement for that job. And that engagement phase to me is always, if you know your marketplace, before you engage with that, you should be able to tell the client, yes, I can find these people, or this is going to be really hard to find. I'm going to have to work exceptionally hard on covering every type of candidate that's in there, or you know the market that well to say, actually, that person doesn't exist. We need to work on the spec first before we engage on that process. This is that view of walking away where a continuous recruiter will say, yeah, I'll take that job because it's another job. It's a tick box for their their boss. Yes, as a KPI, I've taken on another job, boss. Brilliant. I'll try to fill it. Okay. When they know in their hearts of hearts, they're never even going to fill that job. So what's the point of even taking the job on in the first place? It just becomes background noise that swamps them after a certain period of time when you've got so many of those jobs you don't see the good jobs for the bad jobs so that phase is really important that you when you initially you start with your client you explain exactly what's going on and work so therefore pushing back on the job spec and using your expert knowledge and that's the thing that i want to underline your expert knowledge of the marketplace you can tell your client absolutely categorically that that is going to fail you need to tell them that your b is divisible therefore you know if i don't find people you engage me on this and i'm saying not to okay then you won't get that feedback and if the client understands that and they want to engage then more fool the client yeah, but yeah. Then take that job on and then don't deliver but you haven't told the client more fool you so it's being honest and having that genuine commitment to delivery to your client and sometimes walking away from a role that you would normally take on as a retained, uh, sorry, contingent recruiter. So ensuring that you know that your contract is watertight and it is di- di- divisible means legally you are entitled to that you know, engagement fee when they engage your services. They're engaging your services to identify a marketplace for you, for them. Is there a marketplace? Are there people within that area that we want to recruit? Because that's the type of person we're looking for. The next stage would be then, obviously, to create a long list and a short list that they can interview off. And then the final bit would be the placement part. But if you don't get that engagement part right in the first place and you haven't set out, you know, what that retained model looks like, then it's a real problem. So yeah. first thing I'd look to develop whenever I talk about retainment of those type of things. And it's making sure that that process is absolutely right. And that's very different to a contingency type recruiter because they're so eager just to get a job on because it is a tick in a KPI box rather than actually walking away from certain stuff or negotiating with the client and driving back into the client and using their knowledge and being very, very, um, I use the word forceful, it's probably not the right word, but forceful with their client about that because they're a little bit fearful because there's so many of the contingency recruiters 
talking to that client and taking that job off them, then the client will go, oh, well, I don't want to work with you. I'll work with that content recruiter over there. Yeah. Well, fine, okay? So you've got to think about that and drive that. And it's about creating true relationships then between you and your clients when it comes to that. So delivery is really important. But if you're explaining that to the owner, you know, I've talked to lots of headhunters that clients will come to them and say, I want this type of person. And they're saying, that is almost a year plus search. Those people are very rare on the ground. And to get that person out of a business might take a year, 18 months to do that. Wow. Now, really alien contract recruit, uh, to a contingency recruiter. Really alien. I want to fill it in four weeks, six weeks, seven yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I guess as I listen to you explain that, Howard, it, um, it, it makes me think, you know, it's very similar because I, I guess if I was summarizing what you've just said, it, it's about you have to have the foundations in place and get the engagement piece agreed up front right at the outset. Because if you don't do that with the right contract, the right engagement and understanding, then you set yourself up for problems as you then start to go through uh, the, the service, which is, it just, you know, I was talking to a client yesterday about, you know, the, the need to invest time in making sure that you are targeting the right market, you are targeting and you do know who you, your ideal client personas and avatars are and you, your value propositions, right? Because if you don't get all those initial marketing foundations in place, then your marketing isn't going to work when you start going out to market in a big way. So it's just the same thing, isn't it? About if you don't put the work in up front, then things can fall down further down the line. Yeah, and putting the foundation yeah. is really important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, you're just going to say because I was going to move on to another question. I was going to say put the putting the foundations in is really important and. What we talked about earlier about setting the client's expectations right yes. from day one yeah. is absolutely paramount. Yeah. And we state that we set expectations in the recruitment market when really we set expectations with regards to I will try and find that candidate. And the word try is the critical part in that sentence. Yeah. Because okay? try says, well, I tried, but I failed. Okay. Yeah. I will do it. <laughs> I am going to set out my absolute, this is what's going on, and I'm going to set this completely in stone with you, Mr. Client, so you understand exactly what I'm talking about and why I'm talking about this. So I've set your expectations right from day one, and that expectation setting is so important. Yeah. Now, just just picking up on um, a couple of things when you were talking at the beginning about the change in the market um, you know rpos in-house um you you were saying that of course that the technology and the platforms are all there um you know for in-house to pick off a lot of that low-hanging fruit provided that they're trained in the right way now when it comes to a retained service um, would AI and tech have a place and, and help you develop that offering? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I was down at the, the expo and there was so much technology there and so much. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yes is the answer. Right. You can take some of the legwork out of recruitment by using AI tools, 
then you can spend more time with your candidates and more time with your clients actually speaking to them and understanding their needs and their wants. So AI can do an awful lot of some of the legwork in some certain cases uh, to help you out there. Yes, there's profiling tools and it's how you use those profiling tools that help recruit uh, people uh, and get the right people into the business. But it's using the right profiling tool. It's not just using a profiling tool just to get, well, I've profiled the candidates coming in, but how do you know what profile the client's got at the other end? So have you done a profiling of their client properly, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. There's lots of different things that you could use from an AI world, you know, video, et cetera, et cetera, that would enhance your service and create a far better service for your client. Um, however we look at this, the digital world is coming, and it's coming at a very, very fast rate of knots. However, the human interaction side of recruitment is always going to be there. But if you can expedite the ability to bring candidates to you and bring clients to you and increase your quality of recruitment service by using AI, then it's absolutely the right thing to do. And that's part of that digital wave of you know, swimming out to the sea and, and, and getting on that wave and riding it. But there's so much AI out there. It's what AI do you use and, and why is that going to be good for you? It's about working through the marketplace and finding what is right. But certainly, you know, from a retained perspective, you know, using AI tools to help get a better profile of your candidate and a better understanding of your client is absolutely paramount. And, you know, one of the comments is, you know, you, you hire on skills but fire on behaviours. So if you know the behavioural profile of your client and then you can match the behavioural profile of your candidate to your client, then all of a sudden you, you're supplying a far better qualified candidate to your client because you can always train skills. You can't train behaviours. So AI on that sort of front is really, really key. But there are other things that you can look at. You know, as I said, you know, if you could... You know, how you market to your candidates daily. You know, and it's interesting. I, I, I wrote a, uh, an article on LinkedIn yesterday about, you know, are, are you competitive and are you working all the angles to make sure that you're competitive? And a lot of agencies market constantly to their online audience, i.e. LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, etc. And yet their audience that they've already engaged with is on their CRM, but how often do they actually market truly to their CRM of what's going in the marketplace? They don't. They just expect those candidates to be picking it up on, online. So those candidates don't feel special, and yet you've already engaged with them. You've paid for their data. So why aren't you marketing and using their data to help you become more influential with the candidates that you already own, etc.? And so there's tools that can do that. There's marketing things that can do that, etc. So. Lots of different things that you can use that would help bring your market to you and make you more of an influencer in that marketplace. And AI sits at the heart of that, in my, in my you know, humbled opinion. And if you ignore that, uh, then you're becoming further and further away from your market. And you know, eventually, you'll be so far away from your market, you can't even see where your market is, and you'll be out of business. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, I just want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier and, and, and pick up on it because you made a comment about, um, you know, some people might think, well, you know, how do I move from contingency to retained without 
without losing, you know, my, my existing sort of, you know, contingency customers, if you think it's going to be a different audience. Um, so how, how does a business, you know, transition and change from contingency to retain without, without losing that existing client base? Because I'm sure that is going to be the front of a lot of people who are listening to, to our conversation today. It is, and it's important. It's important to do it in steps, and it's important to have a plan in place to actually do that and do it over a period of time. Yeah. You can't just transition from being contingent to retained. It's, it's impossible without alienating all your clients, and then you may as well say, I'm starting an agency from fresh because you don't, don't have new clients yeah. to work. Yeah. So you've got to really convert over a, over a period of time. And you know, I took a client over sort of an 18 to two-year period from being zero um, to almost 60-70% retained and their fees went from about three and a half grand to over 10 grand per head and if you actually the reason it was 10 grand and not higher was because we were looking at each individual section of the retainer I think overall if we put it together it was about 18 grand was the average fee so huge increase but it happened over 18 months it didn't happen overnight so yeah. you've got to look at your, inter your, your, your current client base and who is likely to require that type of service. Can you go and position yourself to sell that service to, your, to those type of clients? Who else could you sell that service to? You know, how do you price that service? Because it's not just pricing it just as you know, a third, a third, a third. There's lots of different ways that you can you know, price a retained type of service. So it has to happen over a period of time and you have to choose wisely. Once you get into a position though of strength, what you can suddenly start to find is those contingency clients that are the bane of every recruiter's life, i.e. they become a CV, PIT, etc. You now have a far more confident approach of sacking those clients because you've now got better clients to deal with that are giving you more money, exclusive basis, they're paying for your service rather than being on a contingency basis. So you can choose that. You will always have clients that will have a contingency element and a retained element, okay? And that's fine. But it's about looking at your niche, capitalizing on your niche, and then saying, right, okay, this is the plan, this is the program of time that we're going to do, and this is the training we're going to put in that over a period of time, we're going to convert. So it doesn't happen overnight. It can't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So you've got to make sure that you, you do the right things, and it's about planning and preparation and putting the right plans in place. Cool. So, so thinking then in, in summary, um, if, if you could give um, some... Some words of wisdom um, to people and advice if they are thinking of um, making the transition and building this model into their service. What, what would be you know, some, some key things that you would um, leave people with as words of advice? Okay, right. that's always an interesting question and I'll, 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 I'll be politically correct to a degree. Okay? Um, I was going to say go hard or go home. What I actually means do it properly or don't do it at all. Right, yeah. And I think that is the key sort of message. Do it properly or do not do it at all. Because if you try to do it half-heartedly, it won't work. Your clients realise it's not working 
and you'll ruin the client base that you have. So either do it properly or don't do it at all. Training is an absolute must. You can't just expect a contingency recruiter to convert and start to sell retained or headhunting services without training them to be able to deliver those type of services. So you've got to really train your staff and train them not just on the actual mechanics of recruitment, but also on the mindset that is very different from a headhunter to a recruiter. I dropped a, uh, a marketing email out and I had three headhunters come back and say, we're not interested in dealing with you because we are not a recruiter. You've headed this up. Are you a recruitment agency owner? We are not a recruiter. And so they're very proud about being called a headhunter or a search agency rather than a recruiter. So it is very much a mindset thing as well and not just you know, a physical training on the process of what's going on. And then it's making sure you have the right things in place constantly and doing the right thing. So having a plan is really important and then sticking by your plan. And that plan would cover all aspects of going from contingency to retain and how you're going to you know, change your business. And that's all about you know, the perception from within and the perception from, you know, from outside of your business. You know, if you went out and spoke to your clients and asked how your business is truly perceived from the outside market, your clients being your candidates and your clients, you know, it'd be interesting to see what they actually came back with if they're really truthful to you. Then look at the perception of the business from inside the business, what your consultants say. You know, so do they have that belief mindset? Do they have a mindset that will say, yeah, we can do this. We need the training on that. We can do this. And once you set those things in process, then you're fine. So I always think if you're going to do it, do it properly or don't do it at all because halfway it will really, really put a dent in your business, slow it down a little bit rather than speed it up. And you won't see the return on investment in that. And therefore you believe that retained doesn't work. Brilliant. Um, well, there's some real, real um, insights and, and gems you know, throughout this conversation. And also, you know, some great information, Howard, even, um, you know, around the market um, and around AI and, and tech. You know, even if even if right now, you know, that transition to retain isn't for you, I think there's a lot of information that you've shared um, that, that can still help recruiters and, and, and also help them perhaps plan um, when they might want to um, start putting the foundations in place for a retained service um, just thinking about how the market will change and transition over the next five to ten years. So, so thank you um, once again for your time and sharing your thoughts and your ideas. And um, we may well be back, and it might not be about retain, but um, you know, perhaps having a conversation about about a different topic at some point in the future. So, uh, good to talk to you and um, speak soon. Thanks for your time, Sharon. Much appreciate. Hope you guys enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me. Thanks, Howard. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Bye for now. If you enjoy this podcast and you are ready to take your recruitment marketing to the next level, then check out Superfast Circle. In our Superfast Circle program, we are with you every single step of the way as you scale and grow your marketing. You get weekly calls with us you get a full comprehensive training program online that you can watch and listen 
anywhere you are in the world. We have events. We have marketing collateral that's provided for you every single month. If you want to find out more, then head over to superfastrecruitment.co.uk forward slash SFC and then read what's there, watch the testimonial videos, watch the case studies and then book your demonstration call with one of us and we look forward to seeing you on the other side.